Dollar Sock Crew is a disruptive, fun new way to buy socks online, allowing you to build customized packs of high-quality socks at a great price. Shipping is always free. And socks start as low as $1.60 a pair when you use coupon code CHATSHOW. Go to dollarsockcrew.com now and receive 30% off your first order with the code CHATSHOW. That's dollarsockcrew.com, code Chacho. Hello, folks. Kevin Pollack here. Hope you're well. I'm uh, here to give you a little explanation slash disclaimer regarding this episode with Bonnie Hunt, the amazing. Um, we had a power outage. About 10 minutes into the conversation, there was a power outage. So we kind of rebooted and started again. And instead of going back and picking up with the opening, um, you know, we, we just picked up and hoped that the opening was salvageable, which it was not. So here's 10 minutes in. We still chatted for quite a long time. Uh, but uh, there's your little explanation disclaimer regarding the... Uh, oddity of the opening of this show. It was a delight. I love Bonnie endlessly. And um, you will too. Enjoy. Uh, there's uh, been a power outage. A little bit of a uh, power power out. <laughs> yes, it all of a sudden was we, completely dark. We were talking. And mm-hmm. um, I'll never forget the moment when the lights went out at Earwolf. <laughs> <laughs> because I was a scared. My dear, 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 sweet friend and hilarious person across from me, Bonnie Hunt, I'm going to say a nanosecond into the blackout said, my wallet. <laughs> because there's <laughs> no off switch. Funny. <laughs> there's no off switch. There ain't. Right? Mm-mm. No. So, that's how uh, you survive in a family of seven kids. Yeah. Then that's where we let off. Yes. Uh, you're, Growing up in the 70s. You were a great Chicago. audience first. Yes, because bro- everybody was funny. Yeah. And my dad, on summer nights, would sit on the front porch. Come on. You know, have a beer and a smoke. And then all of a sudden, you'd see all the neighbors starting to come around because he's telling some great yeah. story. And I saw how powerful it was. Right. And I loved it. I couldn't wait for it. Like, he was Elvis to me that he could hold an audience like that and tell right. a story and reel them in and make people laugh. And Did you also know that moment? Where you made him laugh over something and that ridiculous power of joy? You kind of stumble across it as a kid. I did, but I think I don't I, I don't think I did I don't think I he was the funny one. Uh-huh. <laughs> in fact, I did a scene at Second City based on my parents where the first line of the husband is they come home from a party. That's the opening of the scene. They walk uh. on stage and they just get home and she's laughing and he says, There's a pause and he says, I'm the funny one. And it's like, oh God, what happened? So <laughs> that's kind of. <laughs> it kind of suggests there was another man at the party who might have been funny. Actually, it was my mom. Oh, oh, oh. Yes. Oh, I see. Who's a man, uh-huh. oddly enough. <laughs> yeah. We were ahead of our time. And um, how comfortable was mom with how funny and interesting and storytelling dad was? She was fine. She, she would often say everybody was in love with dad because they were. My dad was very, very handsome, blue eyes and, you know, tall and auburn hair and right. just, uh, but very Gleason-esque wow. in his mannerism and the way he was a big shot when he was out. And did he know of Jackie Gleason? Yes, we adored Jackie Gleason. We grew up with Jackie Gleason, everything yeah. Jackie Gleason. Jackie Gleason Honeymooners, Jackie Gleason Show, and then all the albums. So <laughs> We did. We had all the albums. Wow. 
And uh, the family would gather and listen to the albums through the stereo the hi-fi, hi-fi, the, the seven-foot-wide piece of yes. furniture. And I used to think that there was people were in there singing. Yes, inside, when you're little, inside the box, yes, inside the furniture, right. <laughs> They were lined up. They were in there, little people. And I tried to catch the Flintstones and it threw a crack on the TV once. My sister and I sat there with a cup like an entire day once. No. <laughs> the TV, the, the the front of the screen had a crack in it. Oh. And I said to my sister, you know, they run by here pretty closely. <laughs> so we emptied one of our dresser drawers and we put Barbie furniture in there. Steve, I mean, <laughs> what's your name? Kevin. Just kidding. <laughs> my next door neighbor was Steve Muscosi. Oh, so wow. Steve would come over and he helped us design this whole thing for the Flintstones. We were like six years old. Sure you were. And we made a place for them. And I said, wait till they come out and see all the advancements. <laughs> you know, but we tried to catch them. We thought modern they times. Fall. Yeah. Um, was there ever a time when there wasn't someone around in the house? No, no, not that I remember. Right. Um, and I think that's why I love the process of creativity because it's just it's all about the team. It's all about the teamwork, and you know everybody's got strengths and weaknesses, and you kind of work together. I mean, that, I love the process. Was that instilled in you as a family of uh, children by your parents? Hey, yeah. you kids go off and play and do something and create something, or you just figured it out? Uh, well, my parents were creative. My mom was, you know, a singer and you know, worked at NBC when she was before she had any kids. All right, settle down. Yeah. What uh, what kind of singing is she doing at NBC? Well, she was working at NBC in the script department for the um, soap operas, the radio soap operas. So she wasn't the, the one who recorded Bing Bing Bing. No, no, it wasn't her. No. Okay. <laughs> Script supervisor for soap operas in the 50s. Mm-hmm. She worked for the head of NBC there in, at the Merchandise Mart, but she was also a singer. So she was on every weekend on the Morris B. Sachs Radio Hour. And But then when she got married, my dad wasn't <clears throat> thrilled about her continuing that, so she didn't. Uh, well, sure, because that was also the 50s. It was. And, and grown-ups. Right. But she entertained us. She always said, I gave birth to my audience, and God, she did. But, so, but I'm also curious of how – did she ever share with you – how she became a script supervisor for soap operas at a she it just she just kept you know getting promoted. I mean, she started with a simple job there as a secretary, and then and this she, is in Chicago or New York in Chicago, in Chicago at Merchandise Mart. And, okay, um, and then Eric Danielson, I think, was the head of programming there, and he just kept promoting her. My mom was really smart and really funny and charismatic and. She worked until she was until two weeks before she had her first child, which was unheard of in the fifties to go to work two nine months weeks? pregnant. Yes, and what? then after she had the baby, NBC called the house and said, "You have to come back." And she said, "No, I think I'm going to stay home," which is what they did. But she, there was always I always sensed that there was a loss of that part of her life. Sure, of course, you know? mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. a thriving professional. Correct. And uh, next thing you know, she's got a brood. Yep. There's six of you. Uh, seven that we know of. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, you and six others. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're six out of seven. I'm number six. That's right. what my dad used to call me. Six out of seven? No, he would say number six. Oh, number six. Yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, you couldn't have been the only one he referred to as a number to get a laugh. Uh, no. That, he would, that he was always, his bit. He would, yeah, if there was any kid in the neighborhood walking by, he'd always say, are you one of ours? And no, okay, keep going. Yeah. A, when, and was the neighborhood filled with kids? Yes. Oh, like other, some of the families were 12, 14 children. So an area of uncontrollable Catholics is what you're talking about. It was, yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So you would go to church? Oh, gosh, yes. Yeah. That, that was where I got all my acting lessons. Because my mother, before we leave the house, would be like, happy family, take one. <laughs> No matter what was happening in that house, right? 
The chaos. The chaos, the fighting, yeah, whatever. Sure. Yeah. The minute we walked out that door, it was smiles and sit up straight. And I mean, I did that in Stolen Summer. That's right. With the kids. Absolutely. You I did. just imitated my mother. But when dad goes off to work and yes. mom now is looking after seven, mm-hmm. do you ever stop? You must. Must all the time and wonder how the hell did she do that? I don't know. She had no help. Oh. It was just mom. Yeah. And I don't know how they did just it. Just making lunch for the kids to go to school. Right. Is, an, is three hours. Yes. I mean, she's up at three. Yeah. Well, there's no record of her actually sleeping. There was one time in 1972 that somebody call, saw her close her eyes. And called the police. Yes. We were saying, oh my God, mom, are you all right? I threw a glass of water in her face immediately. Sure. Snap out of it. Didn't react. <laughs> no. So uh, you come from being a great audience first. Where yes. does it even cross your mind that you're going to give it a, a, a chance to be the funny one? That's a bold move. I think because of how powerful it is. I mean, you see your family, especially your folks, when there's that many kids and there's not a lot of money and you're living paycheck to paycheck. And right. you see them watch something on TV. And lose their minds. And completely in that moment, you see this like happy person laughing. What's wrong? I have No, I have also shared a moment of seeing my parents laugh and it was as unnerving as if they were openly weeping. Yes. That's how weird it looked. Right. When mom and dad lost their shit laughing. Yes, it's glorious. Yeah, at first I remember thinking, are they okay? And then it was instantly glorious, yeah. And how do we get them back to that? (laughs) Right. That was the the need. Yeah. Let's get mom and dad back to the laughing times. Right. Yeah. And And they were- they would have parties in the house with their friends? Always. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. There were so many parties. And would you I love just, running through the legs at the sure. party? Sure. Yeah. I just remember one moment in the kitchen with my mom, and I think it was Jimmy Fitzgerald. Sure. Who worked at the Sinclair gas station. He was standing in the kitchen. He was a little tipsy. Mm-hmm. And I remember my mom was making, you know, she had a salad made, and she had, made, she had put black olives in it. So she drained all the olive juice into a cup that was similar no, to the one she No, made. he didn't. I'll never forget it. And I remember him picking up was that, that drink. Was that your and- first spit take that you saw live? <laughs> <laughs> I think it was, the original. Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. And uh, uh, my mom just said, uh, ain't that a great <laughs> cocktail? And he just, it was just olive juice. Oh, that, that Cuddy Stark gets stronger every year. <laughs> oh, if you guys was Mog- Morgan David, right? Yeah. Well, sure. Yeah. That's right. It was yeah. uh, horrible Horrible red wine. No, my parents were with the, with the highball and the parties at the oh, house. Oh, yeah, the highball. And, and the, I the just so wanted to run around the drinking parents and the smoking and yes. bumping the people. And isn't he cute? And How are we still alive? I don't know. I mean, know. we were in the station wagon <laughs> with my dad. He would smoke a pack of Winston's with all the windows rolled up, no seatbelts. We're flying around. <laughs> well, <laughs> you Broken the, necks and lungs full of smoke. <laughs> you had a cigarette smoke to pad you from hitting anything. <laughs> oh it was so we were thick. delirious. Yeah. <laughs> that was the way they drugged us. Just roll up the windows. <laughs> It is un- oh, it is uncanny. It is. Uh, but I mean, I understand why uh, one would gravitate towards it. I'm looking for, and not even a, a moment in time, but because clearly uh, it's a transition into right. I'm going to give this a, a go. And I'm sensing maybe you didn't even tell anyone in your family that you were thinking about it. You quietly did it? Oh, no. I talked about wanting to be a storyteller right I wanted to write. I mean, I used to go see movies and I'd come home and rewrite them. Okay, that's bizarre. At the age of? 10, 11. Oh, my. I mean, I was like, what if this would have happened? Or this would have been more real if the mother said this? Because it drove me crazy that moms and dads weren't real. Right. 
Like that really bothered me. Oh, wow. Like I wanted them to argue and have you authenticity. So the first thing you wrote wasn't, dear Mr. Hitchcock, <laughs> if only you had. <laughs> no. Did you ever write a letter or anything? To any I did love Hitchcock, though. I was addicted to that. Yeah. Um, no, I never wrote fan letters. But my my dad, when I told him that I wanted to do this, he's like, oh, just marry somebody rich. He was worried about me. Oh, he boy. was like, I was not, you know, I, I went to school because there was a captive audience. Yes. You know, we were locked in a classroom and I had a crowd. And that's where I could be Well, funny. six of seven. So five before you that that he can send off to college or they're going to college. No? Well, we never Right talk. into the workforce or? No, some went right into the workforce. and But everybody that went to college in my family earned it themselves. Sure. There was no college fund. There was no, what school do you want to go to? I mean, it was never even talked about. Right. I, nobody talked to me about college ever once. In my house either. Isn't that something? Yeah. And I don't even remember. I think I just applied because my friends were doing it. Um, I'd already started doing stand-up when I was uh, uh, a senior in high school. Well, first of all, I- You been, started that young? I, I was lip-syncing this uh, uh, famed serial rapist, Bill Cosby's first album. Oh. If only they'd put that in the liner notes. <laughs> I think it is in there. <laughs> of the first album. So I lip-synced that. That that was what was coming out of the hi-fi when I was a kid. I, I knew it by heart. Yeah. yeah. And because I there mean, was only two of us, I was home alone a lot. Right. And I would put it on the- and I would hear the stories coming out of the furniture. Yep. And then I would stand in front of it and I'd be the one telling the story, lip syncing, not knowing what lip syncing was. Wow. Or even thinking I created it. I was just playing. I was just interacting. Yeah, but that's timing. But I was learning right. from a master. Is that the my brother my brother Russell with whom I yeah. That was the second album. First oh. one was uh, Bill Cosby is a very funny fellow right, right. with the no and the arc routine, which is what I lip sync through junior high into high school, whatever the occasion was, father-daughter dinner dance, the uh, oh, so folk you were, festival. Oh, so you were being a hit with Let's this. Let's bring out the little Jew who lip syncs. Oh, I love that. The famous comedian, yeah. So by the oh. time I'm 17 going, you know, I'm applying for college and I'm thinking, really, what do I, I should be on my way to show business, you know. Yeah. And I, I uh, but I do, I, no, no one in the family said, so were you going to college? What, uh, what are you? My dad started that once I started saying I wanted to go to Hollywood. Because mm -hmm. that's where I thought you went, but I never thought I'd go there. I mean, I never thought I'd go to Hollywood, ever. Had you been to a live comedy show? Yes. When you went to- Go to Second City, starting at like 12 years old. And who would you see there? Brian Doyle Murray? Oh, yeah. All the guys. Yes. Yeah. And, th and then they were all on Saturday Night Live when I was a teenager. Sure. So it was just like, oh my gosh, those people, I saw them here yeah. on the street and they're there on the TV. I couldn't believe it. My better half, Jamie, and I got very, very, uh, and remain friendly with uh, BDM, the Brian Doyle Murray. Oh, he's the best. He lived one street over from us. They yeah. just moved back to Kansas City a couple of years now. But that yeah. The whole family is funny. Whole Unbelievably family. so. Mm -hmm. uh, my favorite, one of my favorite Brian quotes was, I told him I was reoccurring on this show. And he said, oh yeah, I love reoccurring. They're always happy to see you. <laughs> that's a good Brian. And yeah. that's how he sounded when I first met him. And he was, you know, a young man. He sounded like that at 29. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you're work. 12 and you go to see a live show in Second City. Right. And, and my, my, we went to see Rip Taylor. And um, was there know, any sort of connection with, and specifically with comedy? Well, you said it was you because, were, because my parents were funny and they loved funny people. They appreciated comedy. Right. But you're so, going home rewriting screenplays. I was. I would sit longhand with a notebook and rewrite entire scenes and from like you, risky business. It didn't matter what it would was. Would you try to find someone who you could read them to or to, to you just, just for you? 
It was just me, my frustration with uh, authenticity. <laughs> I always wanted something to be more authentic because I thought it would be funnier. And so later when you work with Tom Cruise on the Jerry Maguire, do you tell him? First you, movie you, I did, Rain you, Man with, with Tom. Well, no, I'm saying, but when you work with Tom, did you tell him you rewrote Risky Business? No. <laughs> Didn't mm -mm. come up? Mm -mm. And, oh, he would have loved it. Yeah, but I didn't think about it because it was a, there was a lot that I rewrote. There's a lot of <laughs> I still have those. I have those 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 no, journals. You no, you don't. Yes. What are you talking about? You I, have your rewritten scripts. I have those journals of different movies that I rewrote. I kept journals. I kept. I would write down being upset. Um, my mother wouldn't let me see Saturday Night Fever because a girl had sex in a car or something. Yeah, no, she so was I, right. I know, but I already I already knew a girl had sex in the car. I knew girls who had sex in cars. Sure, of course. My mom would not let me go see it, and I just- Let's I, name names. Who's having sex in a car when you're in school? No, I can't. They all got pregnant. <laughs> yes, they did. No, um, you know, every, everybody got pregnant. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, of course. They did, and everybody- Well, my you My friends grow had up. babies. My, my friends I go home, they have seven, six, seven kids. Uh-huh. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Here I am, childless. But same here. But for me, it was planned. Well, I got three good eggs left. I was just at the doctor, Kevin. Let's get busy. <laughs> have you named them? <laughs> no, not yet. Uh, so, so you go from writing screenplays right. to, to seeing live comedy, right? And and is it seeing live? You rip Taylor and all the great acts. Is it because I, I I believe that I was watching at twelve years old, Sammy Davis Jr. on stage in. Next time you're in town, I'll keep an eye out for you. You're right, yeah. <laughs> but I remember. Watching him because he sang and he danced, he did right, impressions, everything. he did everything. Right. And people were taking f photos, you know, in the audience, and he would say, it's okay, it's okay, come up closer, I look like half a matzo ball from back there. <laughs> and uh, you drift into Dennis Miller when you do Sam <laughs> Davis Jr. now. What That's am I, right. quake quank? <laughs> uh, so, but I, but I remember while watching these people thinking, I wanted to do it. Yes, yes. I had yes. No, no, no necessarily talent right. or any training to do it. But did your parents love it? Like my mom would circle uh, movies in the TV guide. Like if a Billy Wilder mo movie was going to be on 11 o'clock, she would have us go back, go to bed at 7. She would make a Chef Boy RD pizza at like 9.30 and wake us all up to watch the movie. This she is wanted the most us, magical mother that ever lived. She wanted to share it with us. She wanted us to know, like, I don't know. She just loves storytelling. It's free. Yeah. It was on TV. Sure. And and then it was something we all shared. And we would always imitate the lines and bring them up to each other. You know, just lines from different movies. We still say them. You know, it's just it it's just a part of us. And then when I wanted to be, go to Hollywood, my dad's like, "Oh no, you should go to nursing school." Why don't you think about being a cap? He a never, cap? He never said that. No. <laughs> Uh, city job? No, I was going to marry somebody with the city job because Dookie Marcucci was our garbage man, and I always had a big crush on him, Kevin. I used to time hanging the laundry on the line, which yes, is what we did in the course. old neighborhood. And and they still do. Um, but I would time it for when Dookie would come down the alley. What was uh, Dookie's actual name? Doug? I don't even know. Dookie Marcucci. So we always called him. Right. But when I stop and make you think about it for a moment, that could it's, not have could, been his name. Dookie? Dookie Marcucci. I, well, drew, uh, I grew up with the Spitzeries, the D'Amico's, the Marcucci's. I mean, there's. The, it was all, we were the Irish family in the very Italian neighborhood. Yeah, but they're, they're all Catholics. So. They're all Catholics, yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we all use the rhythm method. All the kids are great dancers. <laughs> yeah, you know, the other night, Jamie asked me, what, what, what is this, what, what was the rhythm method? 
How I, old is Jamie? <laughs> Don't say her age. It's not right. <laughs> well, people know, and it's on it on the internet. Um, uh, uh, have you not met? Well, this, that's strange. We've been together 12 years. You, it, it does show out that you, that and, I you and I have just not seen each other. I know. It is unforgivable. I thought I lost you in the divorce. <laughs> Same here. No. No, I did. No. Well, I played poker when, when with my hus- him. Yes, my ex-husband, yes. But, but no, there was no decision-making on my part. Oh. No, gosh, no. Oh, please. No, we went on with our lives, I guess. Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah, clearly. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and I also went through one of those parting of the ways things of, yes, of my own damn self. Mm-hmm, I remember. Yeah, super fun. Um, but she said, what What was the rhythm method? Mm-hmm. She's heard it her whole life, but no one ever explained it. And I said, I don't know that anyone ever explained it to me, quite frankly, because as a term, it actually makes no sense. Uh, I referred, I, I assumed it had something to do with retreating on the right moment? No. And she said, no, that's called this. And I said, oh, right, of course, that's oh, what yes. that's called. Mm-hmm. So what what rhythm are we doing? Do you Can you explain to our listeners? Yes, the rhythm method was when you were, when you anticipated you would not be ovulating. Mm-hmm. That was the rhythm of your cycle. Correct. That's what it referred to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, so dummy me, and I'm going to say a lot of the listeners- Thought there was a physical momentum rhythm going on. Sam is nodding yes. Sam, please. And this is how your parents confuse you. My (laughs) mom was, you know, we're kids in the city. We're running all over the place. She told us like all of our private parts. She kept calling it, that's your property. Sure. She did not say the regular names, the anatomically correct names. She'd say, that's your property. That's your property. Well, of course, that's what I thought it was called. So every time I saw property for sale sign, <laughs> I was like, oh, my God, people sell it? So that's your way of saying it's okay that we took it literally. Yes. Yeah. Because I took I, – the first time I went to a sleepover, I fell off the top bunk. I was like eight or nine years old at this girl's house. you fell on your property? And I, and I went to the woman that – you know, the mother came in. She said, are you okay? I said, I hurt my property. And she kept looking at the floor. And I said, no, my property, I, I hurt I, – I mean, I fell right on my – Sure. Backside, and so when she called my mom and said Bonnie's complaining that her property hurts, my mother was over there. <laughs> Thirty-eight seconds. Yes, thirty-eight seconds. <laughs> sure, but that's what happens with those terms when you're a kid. So the rhythm is really the timing of the month. Yeah. Okay, and I, it took me. Uh, I mean, I make sixty-one look good, but it took me sixty-one years on this planet to finally find out what that meant. So thank you for that. Oh, yeah. We'll always have that. It was like a window of four days, I think, where you could have sex. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Um, uh, okay, so so you're watching Funny People, and you're just I'm going to give this a shot. Mm-hmm. And you've seen live shows. Right. Is Second City the first place you drift to, or where is— where Yes, is- I, was always, I was always hanging around Second City and um, going to the shows whenever I could. The improv sets were free, so you could go after the show and watch an hour of improv, and that's mostly what I saw. Was After the improvisation? Or? No, at night. Yeah. Um, my friends and I. I mean, I would go down there on the bus, and uh, I lived on the northwest side, and and it was, you know it was easy to get to to Second City, and then I just started hanging out in Lincoln Park because that's where creative people were. But my dad um, just kept telling me, "You can't be a writer if you haven't lived." Oh wow! And I had been volunteering in hospitals. My mother had us all volunteering. Sure. And so I was a candy striper. You know, you'd go and you'd read to the patients or make the beds or you know help feed them, whatever right. it was. And um, yeah, so I, I, I went to nursing school. But uh, while you're hanging out at Lincoln Park and your dad saying, marry someone, yeah. you're thinking, I, I need to get on stage. 
Yes. And my dad was joking, but I think it was, you know, best comedies, you know, based on truth. And I think he really was worried about me. And so- But live a little first. That's actually great advice. Yes. He said, what are you going to write about? Yeah. And I said, I'm going to write this. And they said, no, you got it. You got to live it. Dad, I've already rewritten 17 screenplays. What are you talking about? <laughs> well, it's well. You know what I did one year that was really he was really impressed was I had a little tape recorder and I taped the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. Sure, just you know the audio, and um, I was probably thirteen, and Joey Bishop was the guest, and somebody had canceled. They were going on and on. You know he was doing the self self deprecating stuff, and. Johnny kept saying, you know, Joey. So I painstakingly went through and took Joey Bishop's voice out. And put in your own. Put my voice in and kept saying, why are you calling me Joey, Johnny? It's Bonnie. And, you know, I did this whole thing where I was the guest on The Tonight Show. And I gave it to my dad for Father's Day. And that was the first time that he kind of looked at me and thought, She's got well, something. Who, who thinks of something like this? And has the production background. I did it. I worked so hard on that. Yeah, you did. I just, it was, it, it was so great. It's like one of my fondest memories. And I, then also getting in trouble in school. Sure. Like I cut Frank Sinatra's face off the cover of which album it was where he's holding a smoke. But it was a big picture of his head, like an eight by 10. So I cut it out and I put a rubber band on it and I cut the mouth out. And I wore it at school singing Strangers in the Night, you know, into the classroom windows. Sure. And then they called my parents in. Um, <laughs> and my dad went because my mom was with the kids or something. And then he came home. And I remember sitting on the stairs listening to them. I was like 15 or 16. And he said, then the nun pulls this out of the drawer. And it's Frank Sinatra's head with the mouth cut out. And my parents are laughing. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my God. Thank goodness. I know. But they didn't tell me they thought it was funny. Oh. They were like, you, you know, knock it off. But- I but saw secretly, that I scored. Yes. Yeah. So those that was all it. The, yeah, those were all the little things that made me think, yeah, I, I really want to do this. And then when I got into nursing school, you know, my dad died so suddenly and I, I was like, Well, I'm done with this because I was doing it for him. The nursing school. Yes. Yeah. But I stayed because there I don't know if you you know that story, right? The Mr. O'Brien story. Keep going. You really want to hear it? Well <laughs> Do you know you don't have to. I, I don't know it. So of course I want to hear it. You may not want to tell it again, which is completely fine. Uh, Your call. So you, you're you at nursing school. Right. And there's a Mr. O'Brien. Well, I'm a few months into nursing school, and my dad dies of a heart attack. Uh, you know, he's a very young man. and um, A lot of smoking. Yes, and a lot of stress and pressure and four jobs and, you know, just working all the time. And yeah. um, it was devastating. I remember the anger was overwhelming, and the sadness was I was inconsolable. Yeah, of course. And, it, you know, just a week before, I remember he was watering the front lawn and his buddies were over and they had some lawn chairs out. And he said to me, hey, go in and put your uh, student nursing cap on and come out and, you know, show the guys. I go, oh, dad, you know. He's like, no, no, come on, come on, you know. So I put the little cap, a white nursing cap on. I came out. I'm standing there in a sweatshirt and jeans. My dad goes, look at her. There she is. She's my nurse, you know. And um, and I said, yeah, I'll be able to take care of you when you're old and gray, Dad. And I remember sure. patting his head and going back in the house. And then seven days later, yeah. he was gone. Yeah, there's no uh, there's no way to uh, go through that uh, without it being arguably the most devastating uh, experience of your life. Yeah, he died just no in way. the house. You know, he was, you know, just my mom was the only one home. And it was just 
you know, she couldn't revive him. And it just was awful. And, uh, you know, people, so many people out there have gone through that. And I, you know, you, you, you just develop a part of yourself and there's seven kids and, you know, we had a meeting and we're all going to pitch in and, and, you know, give money so we can keep the house and all that. And I tell my mom, I am not going back to nursing school because dad's not going to see me graduate. And I was going for him and I was so angry. Sure. And my mom said, well, uh, you know, here she is in all this pain and she's, you know, dealing with these different personalities right. with their own grief. And she said, you know, why don't you go back on Monday for one more week, just in honor of dad. And then, and then you quit. And I said, no, no. She said, just do it. I said, okay. And she was wise enough to know maybe if I got back on my feet, sure, I might be okay. But I was not staying. There was no way I was staying. Right. And I got to school on Monday. And at that time they were doing practical application in the morning theory in the afternoon. So I got assigned a patient out of 500. It's this man, Mr. O'Brien. And the this instructor of the nursing school brings me out in the hallway and she goes, all right, Hunt, I just want to tell you something. You're not the only person whose father ever died. So, yeah, and nice, I'm like, oh my nice. God, this woman's a nurse. And she says, you can't, you know, put your heartache onto these patients. So you're going to be assigned today to a patient and this is your business and you're here to take care of them. And I thought, oh, I can't wait on Friday to look her in the eyes and say, I quit because yeah. I'm angry. Yeah. I don't even want to see people laughing. I don't want to see any right. happiness. I'm so sad. It's like walking through concrete. So I get into Mr. O'Brien's room and he has cancer and I'm talking to him and looking at his chart and I say, I'm Bonnie, I'm going to be your student nurse. And you know, and you write a paper on the person you're taking care of, but I thought I'm gone on Friday. So I'm just going to be nice and do the best I can for five days. And he says, oh, I guess you know I'm doomed. And I said, oh, I don't know. And I always said, you know, I believe in miracles. And mm -hmm. I said, I believe in miracles. He says, well, I have cancer. And I said, yes, I know, Mr. O'Brien. He goes, well, it's, you know, it's, I'm kind of lucky. And I said, well, why would you say that? And he says, well, you know, I'm Irish and there's a lot we don't say. And I've been able to tell my sons I love them and tell my bride of 40 years how much I love her. And I'm now thinking, oh my God, we didn't get to say so much to my yeah, dad. Yeah, like, yeah. just like, tears falling. Oh, I, well, I don't cry. I'm thinking of that instructor who just told me that you can't do that. Wow. And and he said, you know, I knew a man, he died really suddenly, and, and he, he would always say his kids were his greatest accomplishment, and I used to roll my eyes, and he's just the greatest man. I just loved him so much, and to think that he didn't get a chance and I get a chance, you know, and we're just talking about all this, and second day, I can't wait to see Mr. O'Brien just because I love him so much. He's just sure. a sweet Irishman, and um, I remember... You would, by the third day, he's calling me his Bonnie Lass, and I'm thinking, I only got two more days, and I'm out of here. Boy, I'm going to miss Mr. O'Brien, because he's, he's been talking about his friend who died suddenly, and how he... I'm just learning a lot. And I open his chart, and in the back of the chart, it says that he worked for the Board of Education, which is where my dad was an electrician. So I closed the door to his room, and I said, Mr. O'Brien, I'm not supposed to do this, but can I ask you a question? He says, sure. And I was putting a cold compress on his eyes. So his eyes, you know, I just covered his eyes mm. and I said, um, you work at the Board of Education. I wonder if you knew my father or know my father. I didn't even say my dad in the past tense. And he said, oh, what's his name? And I said, Bob Hunt. And he reached his arm out and he grabbed my, my arm and he said, you know, that's the man I've been talking about. Wow, honey. So I couldn't leave Mr. O'Brien. No, so you sure couldn't. I stayed in school to stay with him. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, I don't know what people believe in, but I just felt like, 
wherever my dad went, he's like, excuse me, God or somebody, can we get somebody to stop her? She cannot go to Hollywood yet. She can't go. She's not. Send in O'Brien. Send in O'Brien out of 500 patients. Is there a Catholic somewhere in this hospital that There's can grab my be- daughter? Come on, there got to be a couple, two, three of them down there. Oh, oh man. <laughs> yeah. So, well, look, yeah. I appreciate why that story is so uh, uh, moving, historical, and all of those things, and emotion- right. emotional for you, and why you paused for a moment and said, oh, geez, do you really want to hear this? And thank you for sharing it, because, oh, Bonnie, that's that's magic personified that Hollywood will never be able to write or execute. That, that's just what? extraordinary. It is, yeah. and it's like... I didn't know how powerful it was in that moment. Right. But when I look back, that fork in the road, that I stayed in school and I became a nurse. I worked in emergency medicine for a few years, and then I became an oncology nurse. And I have so many magical mo- moments with being an oncology nurse. That oh, my I, goodness. That, and it just changed me. You know, you get a certain maturity when you see people facing their own mortality. You see their grace and their courage and what really is meaningful and love. And then you see even more so how powerful humor is. Yeah. Where people are so scared and right. in pain, physically, emotionally. Right. Everybody in the family is trying to protect each other from the emotional side of it. And then I would bring a movie in and say, oh, you guys, you know, maybe you can watch this tonight. And we had VCRs in the rooms. I mean, I started bringing VCRs into the rooms. Sure. I used to bring, and then at this point now, I get hired by Second City and I'm bringing the entire cast to the hospital. <laughs> um, and it became... Like this is this is really healing humor. And then, how difficult is it to then transition just into Second City? As you say, you were doing both for a while. Yes, um, I was. See, there was an audition at Second City. There was one spot open or two spots open for female. They usually have five guys in a cast and two women, and two over two hundred people showed up, girls. And the auditions went on for weeks and weeks, and they kept narrowing it down. And I kept going, but I was just like. It wasn't an audition where you had to read anything. You just had to go on stage and do little, like, five through the door. If come through the door as five different characters. And we, you know, you got to kind of, we got to kind of figure out who you are. Sure. Just different things. And, and yeah, it came down to three girls. And I was one of the three girls, uh, uh, you know. And, and then I got this job. And I was in the touring company. And I would take a week off and go on tour and come back to the hospital. And um, they were letting me do that for a little while. And then I got in the main stage company really quickly. Because somebody in the main stage, I think it was Isabella Hoffman, got a soap opera or something. So she moved to California. So they moved me right up. Right. And uh, and I did both for a while. And then one of my patients, again, Rudy Debrievich, said, when are you going to go to Hollywood and fulfill your dreams? And it's after he saw the cast. You know, we brought the, did the show sure. in the hallway. And I said, <laughs> I'm, in the, I'm in the room with him. And I'm, there's another patient in the other bed. And I'm like, Rudy, are you kidding? I would humiliate myself. I would... I can't go to California. I'd go there and fail, and I have to come back and be embarrassed and beg for this great job that I have. You know, I'm not leaving. And he said, come here. And I stood next to the bed, and he said, what do I got, two weeks? And it was another one of those moments. And I said, I don't know, Rudy. I believe in miracles. And um, he said, I can tell you the biggest regret in my life no. is that I feared failure. No. So take my hand and look me in the eye. And I did. And he said, when I'm gone, you promise me you'll no. go to California and fail many times. And I said, okay, you have a deal. And we shook hands on it. Again, yeah. sent from somewhere. Whatever. I don't know. I didn't put it all together until I was 
looking back at my life and people were asking me questions like you are now. And yeah. and then I went, oh, wow. And and Rudy passed away. And then Second City was opening a theater in LA. I gave my two weeks notice when he passed away. And What age are you at this point? I was, you know, I had been a nurse for years. Late 20s. And yeah, yes. I mean, coming to Hollywood when I did was like. What are you doing here? Yeah, you're too old. You're 29, you'll never make it. Exactly, yeah. that's right. But I was lucky. I was very, very lucky. And and I wanted to do what I could see was so healing with my patients. Like I could see how powerful it was. We'd watch TV together all the time. I, I really didn't have a social life besides Second City doing the shows. I would come in on the weekends and watch movies with my patients. Like they were my life. They yeah. were my whole life, yeah. Well, then, uh, as... You talk about wanting to rewrite screenplays because it wasn't authentic. This life you were living in Chicago was as authentic as life can be compared to um, all the scared and lonely people in Los Angeles who are chasing a dream and don't seek each other out organically because this is – when you first get to L.A., I know for me and many people I've spoken to, it's the most lonely place in the world. It is. I was I it was hard. Yeah, me too. Mm -hmm. Just devastatingly uh lonely. Knew a couple Probably people. More lonely for me because my roommate was Richard Kind. Oh no. Yes, we had an apartment uh, in Long Prey in West Hollywood. Is this before or after the George Clooney years? George was there. Yeah, George was we were all starting out. George would drive me to auditions and he introduced me to everybody, but he was struggling as well oh, oh, at the time. time. Oh, yeah. yeah. He had a little apartment with a splattered painted refrigerator we thought was so cool and hip. I mean, it was just the beginning. We used to listen to Rosemary's albums and sing all night and dream about what would what would happen to us. And you and I both get our starts really from Barry Levinson in terms That's of right. film. Mm -hmm. um, I referred to him as the Phantom director because his brilliance is in uh, writing and casting and then i felt like he just kind of gets out of the way he he gets it you know yeah. he just lets right he would come over to us to direct this scene and say okay bonnie kevin you're there you got the microphones there's uh, the glass window there and uh sam is on the other side he put the headphones on look at the modern it's day the action best. the best and then you would do the scene he would be laughing right. and then he would cut that was astounding astounding <laughs> I just saw that was him his recently. Favorite oh, word. that is yes. You sound just a, like him. It was astounding. You got your cup. There's a glass. The headphones are not being used, and oh. action. He would just talk about <laughs> things in the area. There was no direction. I know, but he trusts. Which talent. for us was perfect. The best. Yeah. The best. I mean, I was. I had never been on camera before. I didn't even know what I was doing. I, I get this part in Rain Man. Yeah. And the only other people in the scene. Are Dustin Hoffman and Tom Cruise? I don't even know. I said, so tell me a little bit about yourselves. I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah. I the, the hospital gave me three days off work to go film that movie. And In, it was just uh, Cincinnati. Right. Yeah. Yeah, my experience, that was my experience with Barry. Um, but that was... that was um, uh, Avalon. A, yeah, Avalon. 1989. He had just come off doing Rain Man. In fact, Rain Man was so successful that... When, the stu when he got to do Avalon, which was a very tiny idea, turned it into a saga, the storytelling aspect, the filmmaking aspect. But it was a very small demographic that was going to go see Avalon. And so the studio said, well, we're going to need to test the movie, Barry. And Barry presented a test card from one of the test screenings of Rain Man that he had saved, a little three-by-five card that people fill out. And on the test card from the Rain Man 
test screening, it mm-hmm. said, hey, comma, why didn't the little guy just snap out of it? Yeah. So Barry hands this card to the executive and says, this is why you're not testing uh, Avalon. I'm not going to test wow. them. Wow. Well, yeah, yeah. That is one of the greatest showbiz <laughs> stories ever. Hey, comma, why didn't the little guy just snap out of it? Yeah, I can't, I'm not going to – these people are not going to tell me how to cut the film. Oh, uh, yeah. So, those... But I, for me, and I think for you, uh, we, ha- we, we came to that with no uh, – Acting training, training, but rather on stage in front of a live audience and fearless. I eight shows a week for four years. I did yeah. eight shows a week. That's astounding. And then the, you have a director who's who doesn't give you any direction, which means you're being trusted with your instincts right. on what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And you're there playing with Tom Cruise and Dustin Hoffman. Right. And all Barry kept saying to me is, "Make sure you hit your mark." I didn't know what a mark was, so no. I just kept saying, "Okay." Where's Mark? I did well. I thought he meant the third time when he said, "Are you going to hit your mark?" Because he kept yelling "cut" when I would walk in the scene. I said, "Yes," and I thought, "Oh, I know. It's on your mark. It's at go. I should run in." That is the true. And he goes, "Action!" I run. He goes, "Cut, cut." What are you doing? I said, "Hitting my mark." He goes, "You don't have to run to it." And I'm like, "What the hell?" And finally, there's some crew guy behind me having a smoke, you know, in the back of this diner, and he says. Do you know what a mark is? I said, no, help me. He goes, piece of tape right there on the floor. I go, oh, and I thought, oh my God, I was going right over it. It was probably just my abdomen and Dustin's face in every shot for the first four takes. And then, and then do you, how long before you learned, hey, when you approach the mark, don't look down at it. Oh, Spencer Tracy. <laughs> yes. You know, well, always came watch, in with this. <laughs> he would, he would wind his Columbo watch. Columbo, too. Yeah. Peter Falk. That's why his head was down, looking for the mark. I was told that one of the Spencer Tracy moves was to wind his watch. Oh. And that meant he was looking down <laughs> and right past his hand to the mark on the ground. No, I think I think he had to do a couple takes because I think I was staring at the mark. <laughs> then I would stop, land on it, and then present my line. No, I was I was natural. Unbelievable. I think I was yeah. because- No, of he, course. And then, then they added another scene. We added the toothpick scene that day. What? I thought that's what the scene was. No, the scene was just he knew the phone's numbers from the phone book and Barry, because he's brilliant and a storyteller, you know, that's the safety net. You know, you got a writer, director, it's just such a safety net. And he's like, I don't know if this is going to be enough when we put this together that Tom realizes, you know, notices that he can count stuff. He goes, we might need something else. And I think it was during the writer's strike. So we sat there talking about it and then I we were like, what if we drop something and he counts? I mean, this is, and I'm standing there with Watching Tom. this happen. I'm participating. Yeah. I had no hesitancy. I didn't know that you don't jump in. I, that was a lot of trouble in my first television series too. I'm like, you know what? This line's not working. I'm going to say this. They're like, whoa, hold on. <laughs> but at Second City, yeah. it's not working. You change it on the spot, yeah. on stage. You save each other. You help each other. You don't ask permission. No, you, you're, you're, the audience is your guide. That's right. And you hear them. You, you're, you've got that sense. It's in you. Yeah. And I would, I would do that on my first television series all the time. I remember Michael McKeon was playing my husband. He'd go, Bonnie. Like what he goes, oh, we, we don't do that. I'm like, what? I go, it's not, this line's not working. I got to change it. I mean, I didn't know there's some writer in the studio watching us on some secret monitor. I had no clue. No, no, you didn't. No. Uh, so you would put your hand on Dustin, gently move him out of the way and say, here's what we're going to do, Barry. <laughs> no, I never did that. I was, no. a, I was a, you know, I said, yeah, we can, I can drop the toothpicks and I can notice how many are left. You know, we worked on it together. Right. And it was, and what was even more impressive was the kindness sure. of these guys to include me. Yeah. 
I mean, they did not look at me or talk to me any differently than they did each other. Well, that was the remarkable thing that I've talked about in terms of uh, Tom Cruise uh, uh, leading by example and the generosity of spirit and and the work is because yeah, and a few good men were 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 supposed to be old friends and 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 in the acting world we're supposed to be co-stars, but. It was not necessary to treat me like an equal from the nanosecond that I arrived. That just wasn't necessary. You know, it's professional. Yes, it's what's right, but, it, but we know how often it doesn't but happen. But in my mind, I was also thinking, if he talks to you, it's going to be great. You're lucky, yeah. yes. <laughs> you know, and and uh, so I'm curious in the, in the experience of Jerry Maguire, where you have a much bigger part, one mm-hmm. of the leads, uh, if you what you experienced from, from him and his generosity as well, because... I talk about the guy till I'm blue in the face. This is a pen uh, that he gave me in 1991 on the set of A Few Good Men. Are you serious? I am serious. And I've talked about this pen, this ridiculous thing. He was writing with it during rehearsal, and I made fun of him because it's a ridiculous pen. I, I, it's like, yeah. It's like, like Mont Blanc on steroids a, yes, is what it is. Yes, it's a sports car. Yeah, and uh, I, I gave him shit about it, and he laughed the first 11 times. And then he said, try writing with the pen, Kevin. And I said, seriously, Tom, it's a pen. What's the big deal? Here. Right oh, with, so he said try writing with it. He said, with, so just you try writing try. with it. So just for you at home, yeah, I'm Yeah, she's I'm going writing. to write with oh. it. Oh. <laughs> it's like an angel wing floating on a cloud. Wow. Wow. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, when you got money, put <laughs> well, it into a pen. Well, so I gave him grief about the pen. And uh, and 10 days later, we're shooting the movie and then knock on the door of my trailer. I open it up and there's his assistant, hands me a wrap gift and... It's one of these pens in a teak triangle rectangle box. Wow. And I go to Tom and I say, uh, uh, thanks. And he says, you like? And I said, this is crazy. I've known you two weeks. You should talk to someone. This isn't right. <laughs> and then later in the day, he sees me uh, making a note in my script with a different pen and says, where's the pen? I said, oh, Tom, I can't use the pen. No, the pen goes on the mantle in my house yes, with a pin light archive. hitting it. Yes, yes. No, the pen's a story now. It's right? not something I used to write with. Mm-hmm. And a week later, there's a knock with my trailer door, open it up, and there's the assistant with a similarly wrapped gift and says, Tom wants you to use the pen. Oh. So this is not a big movie star handing out $500 pens like pieces of hubba bubba. He gave me the second pen as a way of saying, I want you to use the first one. I Put this put one on this the mantle. Mm-hmm. I get what you're saying. So put that one on the mantle. And then if you go to my house, there are two boxes on the mantle. But I use one of them at all times to sort of remind me of this man's historical generosity, but also as wow. a professional. Yeah. Right? So we're rehearsing, and I'm in way over my head. I feel the same way as you. Right. Someone's going to tap me on the shoulder and say, we've made a horrible error. <laughs> exactly. We meant Kevin Klein. You're not supposed to be here. <laughs> right? And he just instantly – so by example – Right, he's leading by example without ever ever having to say, "I'm leading this dance." Right. So, what was your experience in terms of of that? Because well, like the pen, one time he said, "Can you throw this coffee cup out for me?" And I said, "Oh, yeah, I guess so." <laughs> and uh, I still have it. And then you got a second coffee cup. He sent you a second one when he found out. Well, it was double cupped because it was hot. You had kept the first one. Yes. (laughs) Um, It was great. I I do remember a scene in Jerry Maguire where I opened the door the first time that my character, Laurel, meets him. Yes. And somebody 
was kept saying Tom, Tom. He said, oh, you know, I'm Jerry right now. I'd call me Jerry or something. And he had his headset on. He would listen to music in between takes, probably his way to block people out or get into the zone. And he did very similar on Rain Man. Um, but I took a risk, <laughs> first take, and opened the door. And he's staring at me in the sunglasses. I said, oh, my God, Dorothy, the guy from Risky Business. <laughs> Cut. <laughs> go again. It's funny. Action. Yeah. Oh my God, Tom Cruise. Are you kidding me? What are you doing here? The second take. Yeah. Um, but then he's he has a you know keen sense of humor and yeah. we laughed a lot. He was married to Nicole at the time and she yeah. you know, her mom and sisters and it just was fun. It was fun. And the family environment. Right. And Cameron Crowe just was so respectful and kind to me. I was going through a really hard time in my life personally then, professionally. I had a television show and I was working with somebody who was kind of not a, a very nice person. Right. And they were really kind of tormenting my creative life and Ugh. taking credit for my work. Ugh. And and I, I never told anyone. Right. I just suffered the losses and I just thought I'm a girl. No matter what I say, nobody's going to believe me. And he's going to get credit for this, and there's nothing I can do. It was awful. It was an yeah. awful time. And um, and so now I'm on the set with these really creative, talented people, and they're, you know, there was a lot of scenes I wasn't even in. And Cameron's like, you want to come in tomorrow and be in that scene? And you want to be in the kitchen and maybe say something? I'm like, yeah. And, you know, we just, it was so great. Or you want to look out the window and watch her get into the truck? I mean, there was just moments oh that we, that he allowed me to just really collaborate with him and um, when you feel the right way to do things, and Tom Cruise is just keen like that, respectful, yeah, it, the right way. Because when there's talent, there's really no fear. That's right. There's it's, no insecurity. Right. And when there, when you feel that fear on the set, you're like, okay, somebody is really afraid of somebody finding out they have a tail. You know, right? Like, there's something wrong, and it yeah. makes you anxious. Yeah. But I've been with directors that are like, you cannot change one line, not one word. And I find comfort in the fact that they know what they're, that's their vision, they, sure. what they want. And then the other side of the, go ahead, you know, this take is yours, Bonnie, do what you want with it and we'll see if we can use it. Right. And the both are a luxury. Yeah. I don't know which I prefer. I, I'm going through this now with the, with the Maisel program. It's such a great show. Well, thank My you. My whole family loves it. We, <laughs> that's a lot of people. I know. First that's, of all. That's why it's a hit. That's a big part Hunts of our demographic. Uh but I'm just not. I'm not. A, never been a theater person, so I've never been. Um, we're doing an eight-page oneer today. What are you talking about? Oneer. Well, there'll be no coverage. Uh, there's going right. to be a steady cam. Mm -hmm. There's going to be eleven different moving parts. Eight pages. Exactly. What Goodfellas on steroids. <laughs> exactly. And there's a lot of that throughout the show. And I just wasn't used to it. And don't change a syllable. There's two script supervisors. There's the one who tells you to pick up the coffee cup when you say that line. Okay. And then there's one who's just devoted to you can't say, uh, it's the. Wow, yes. Um, and poor thing. We, in our hearts, we love her. But in our faces, we I want know. her to go away. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> well, she's just doing her job. But so without any of that training, I've, I've been more challenged doing this show. Right. And it's been a rebirth of of those boundaries, which children right. desperately want. It's so true. That discipline yeah. develops a whole other muscle and you go, hey, I can do this. And I was shocked. I was absolutely shocked. Right. Because you, when there's 11 moving parts in an eight-page wonder, you don't want to be the reason we're going again. Oh, God. Right? Ain't that the truth? Because everyone's going to take their turn screwing oh, up. Screwing God. up. And, and no one's going to be angry because it's something we rehearse for two hours. Literally. Everyone go away. We're going to rehearse. Because yes. it's that. Little piece of theater. Did theater ever pull you in, Broadway? 
I would love to do Broadway. I would love to do it. Really? Yeah, well, I mean, Second City was, you know, I did eight shows a week. I mean, that was, and I remember going to the theater every night and I would think to myself after being at the hospital during the day, I would sit backstage and I just remember we'd watch everybody running and changing our costumes in between scenes. And, and I would think I will never have a job this great ever again in my entire life. Wow. Because we're thinking on our feet, plus we're doing scripted material and all those people out there are coming here to feel better. Yeah. And it was awesome. There's a sense of being live in front of people. Well, that's the way you, that's the way I did life with Bonnie. I mean, you do, oh my God, you're so hilarious when you can't, I, you are, first of all, you are so great in Stolen Summer. I know it's just one of those little reality shows, but you are so good in that movie. My, you know, I have all these nieces and nephews and as sure. they're growing up and getting older, they're discovering my movie. So right. I'll end up sitting there with them and they'll be watching it. Uh -huh. Oh, look what's on. And, and uh, the family's just like, God, Kevin's so great. And it's like, you, you're so good and you're good in everything you but do. But the life with Bonnie. Oh, my God. <laughs> you were hilarious. Well, I don't know how to. <laughs> we could. Where is it? I got to. We got to put like. I got to put that online. Yeah. Because that scene. Yes. Where we're in the restaurant and you're romantically interested in me as the owner of the station's son, who I have to be nice to. <laughs> Oh my God! And the hairpiece, uh, yeah, and the sweater. That's right. And then when you take me dancing, <laughs> and you say I've only danced with the blow up doll, <laughs> and I become the rag doll. I still have neck problems from that. <laughs> yeah, you got swung around a little bit. Oh my but, God, Kevin! Yeah. And then you're singing yeah. with all that confidence. Horrible singing. The bad singing. Just... You were genius, Carl Reiner's son. You were Carl Reiner. Was the owner of the station. Oh, that's right. Yes. You were his son. It was not Rob Reiner. No, was, no. It was another Carl Reiner. No, son. but you were. His name was Mister Portenbody. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was somebody That's important, right? So Mr. we called him Mister Portenbody. Yes. Oh man, that was a great show. I love that show. I'm still so darn proud of that damn thing. It was well, trailblazing. Where and it, you're saying it's not somewhere? It's not. No, I don't know why. I don't know if it's because we had Tom Hanks, David Letterman, Robin Williams on like all my shows. These guest stars would come on. You were every you everybody. I mean, like the most talented people would come on. Let me do an episode. You've not had conversations with legal people saying what you could asking. What can I do with this? Where can we go with this? No, I, I should ask ABC because the show is just so. Just so many fantastic memories. I know there's stuff on it on YouTube, but it's poor quality and it's not all the episodes. And right, but that episode with you as the son of the owner of the station, and everybody's dreading you coming to town, <laughs> and you kind of take over the show, and that I have to flirt with you, and just and, a talentless schwanz, just an absolute idiot. And then you start feeding me at dinner. Sure. Oh, <laughs> that's right. Oh my god, this <laughs> is freaking hilarious. I don't know the the crew when when the crew you were one of those guest stars that you were on the crew could not hold it together and that's when it's the most yeah. glorious fantastic drug painful it's it's a drug and yeah. you know yeah. I I crave it I want it and I mean I had those moments with Tom Hanks on the Green Mile which is you know it's such a drama but we could not get through certain scenes absolutely we couldn't look at each other so don't don't. Yeah, I'll do the forehead acting where I have to look at the center of their forehead. Oh, it's, I can't look into their eyes. But I can't. I can't. there was one scene in Green Mile that they never were able to do. It, w it was a scene in church where Tom Hanks and I are in church singing in church from a from a hymnal. Sure. And the camera was coming down the 
middle of the aisle and it's supposed to stop land on us and we're singing mm. and the minute the camera got close we just start laughing we couldn't yeah and i think it's in the director's cut how frustrated he was that he never got the scene because and that was terribly unprofessional of, of myself yes, and it was. tom well it was but we couldn't it, it, there was no there was you would have to drug us to get us to not <laughs> to not laugh i've had those moments and you're right they're the best I had that with you in Stone Summer and in Life with Bonnie. Yeah. I remember not. Well, it reduces us to children. We're basically nine-year-olds. Well, <laughs> that whole scene with the Jewish and Catholic. Yeah. Don't laugh know, at the funeral. And don't laugh at the funeral with us in that scene with Aiden, who, uh, God, I love him. He's adorable and brilliant and wonderful, but he was. But a professional. So, he's a professional. He's a theater-trained professional. You and I are the wackadoos. We're not. You know, uh, how did we get in? We have no yeah. discipline. <laughs> did anybody see the stamp on their hand? No, I don't know how they got in here. <laughs> and. That was uh, so fun. Yeah. Just really fun. And uh, But you mentioned the directing thing. You mm -hmm. love that. Love it. Yeah. I, I love just directing. finally dipped my toe in it, and I, I'm so angry that I waited so long. Because you're a storyteller. You know, that's what we are. Is, yeah. you know, especially as comedians, you, you have to build a story and know that your timing's right so you can get surprise people with funniness and, yeah. uh, you know, something relative. and. Uh, also, so, just yeah. genuine love for every oh, I love department. It. You know, I never had kids. So when I'm directing, it's like, this is my family, yeah. and I want everybody to feel good about themselves. No matter if you have two lines and you have 30, I want you to feel good about it. Right. And and that's how I felt. And, you know, when I was doing my first shows, The Building and the Bonnie, the, my, the, my first Bonnie Hunt show where I played a news reporter, I was writing all the episodes, directing all the episodes, producing the episodes, and no one had ever done that in the history of television. No. So I had to go to every guild. Yeah. I had to go to the Director's Guild in this huge meeting and argue why I could direct and star in my own show. Right. It was um groundbreaking nobody, is what it was. Nobody did it. And and you know, I look at all the like it's normal to see all these girls doing their own shows. I'm like, gosh, you know. Right. That was that was a tough road. It was a tough road, but definitely worth it. And be, maybe because you had spent that time as a nurse, I'm gonna suggest in that world you gathered the strength and confidence to go into the silly show business world and say, well, I'm just going to write and direct these. Because I've worked with idiots. They don't know what they're doing. Well, especially in emergency medicine, you're, you're assessing and thinking on your feet. And I was trained, but when I left school, I was trained as an ER nurse. So that was my, and, and, and I had such a need for the speed. Like I didn't, I would do these 12 hour shifts and I didn't want to leave because I thought I can't leave. But what if something goes wrong and I'm not here? I mean, I had, I got so addicted to, uh, uh, you know, the triage and assessing people and making sure you saved everybody because, and my brother worked in the same ER and we'd always talk sometimes at night and say, he's a, he's a doctor. And we'd say, we don't want anybody to feel our pain. Right. And we'd see these people come in with their mom or their dad or, or a sister, and we're like, we got to save them. Um, yeah. And I just remember doing CPR for way too long and using paddles way too long, thinking I can't go out there and That's say right. we didn't. That's right. So when I got to Hollywood, <clears throat> or even at Second City, when if somebody would say, maybe you're ambitious, I didn't know any better. Right. I thought nobody's going to die. We're just putting on a show. Right. And I can do that. Sure. And so when I did my first show, they're like, well, you know, there's 20 writers on Friends or 25 writers in the writer's room. I said, oh, no, I, I wrote I wrote all the shows already. And I remember Jeff Skansky at CBS is like, what? And I go, I can bring them all in. We don't need to hire anybody. I just want to write the show and just do it. Because the second city you had to what? Write five new sketches a week, basically? You did, every, you did everything yourself. Yeah. You directed yourself. I mean, there was a director, but once you're on stage and you're improvising, you figure it out. Right. Based on how the audience is, is you know, the wave hits you. It's like surfing. Yeah. You get That's timing. 
Yes, it's awesome. It's it's the best. Yeah. You know, that's why the people come out of the theater like you doing stand-up. Oh, and I was the same thing. We knew all those albums when we were kids, too. Like, we would make the family laugh. And so, my brothers and sisters did that more than I did. But I used to, you know, yeah. love watching them make everybody laugh. Somewhere in the research, it said that you did stand-up. I did sit down, basically. I would go out and sit down in a chair and talk about my day. Sure. I never prepared any material. And I did it once as a stall because somebody was late. It was at a place called uh, Bob's Bar or uh, in Chicago by Wrigley Field. Mm -hmm. And I, it was Joan Cusack and I were in the same improv group, the group guys, and we were starting out. And something happened. I got there early and it was, so I, there was a chair on stage and I went, I said, sorry, we were late. You know, what are you guys doing? And I started talking about my day and it just. Wouldn't stop. It was uh, like the most unbelievable experience. Yeah. And so the owner of the bar is like, hey, you know, you should come in and do that like one night a week. And so I did that for a while. Right. But I really liked working with other people, you know, the process of right. being with other people. Of course. Yeah. Uh, the, the tennis match. I, All right. Something's happening. Something's happening within the eyeball area. Yeah. Is it coming off? Um, we, uh, we have uh, run ourselves out of time. Oh, thank God. <laughs> Exhausted. Never been or, so bored in my entire life. <laughs> Such an odd time to share that with me. No, I love you, Kevin. Are you uh -huh. kidding? We're, uh, we're coming up on 90 minutes and we lose the studio space uh, that I was able to book. We, we had, uh, thankfully, only a four-minute shutdown from electricity. It was only four minutes. Power outage. Um, it, I can't thank you enough, honestly. No, so we'll we'll take this to a salad and a place with people. Let's do it. And just continue. Okay, honey. Um, this part of the show is uh, time for Kevin's pop quiz. Oh, for you, between five and 15 points possible okay. for each of the following three questions. They're real. Once the final score is tabulated. Okay. She's already got the first question right. Now we go to the, there must be four questions. All right. Um, once the final score is tabulated, it'll be posted on our website along with the current standing of the top 100. Are okay. you ready? Yes. I'm Question ready. number one, Keith David or David Keith? Oh, do you know I worked with him? <laughs> Which one? The one from Family Affair. That's right. That's the one I love. Yeah. I worked with the other guy <laughs> as his girlfriend in a movie. Don't ask about it. Don't ask. He was oh. completely added out of the film. Okay, good. That is the correct answer, by the way. The oh, answer you just gave. That is? Yep. Okay, good. Question number two, Carl Weathers or the weather in Carlsbad? Oh, Carl Weathers. That's right. Okay. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. I feel so smart. I'm not only pretty, I'm smart. <laughs> That's right. You are. I'm a combo platter. Only one question left. Ready? Yes. Steve? Martin? Correct answer. Oh, my gosh. Unbelievable. The perfect score. Do I get a pen? You get a travel oh, mug. I do love this mug. You know, I travel. Well, this is my brother-in-law gave me this. So oh, I'm well, I don't want to compete. I'm just saying this is pleather. It's made out of pleather. Oh. Yeah. What? You're like serious. This is beautiful. Well, it's yours. And I it, love it, it. It should last at least six weeks. <laughs> before, like most of my relationships. Before, before, like them, it comes apart and you call me and say, what happened? Uh, we never got to Charles Grodin. I oh, wanted Charles to talk Grodin, about him. The greatest. Truly to, the, the greatest. And, and you know what? When I sold my first show, um, I sold it and you know, made a pilot. And then I sent the pilot to David Letterman, who I'd met because I was a guest on the show and said, here, do you want to see what I'm working on? Right. He ended up saying, I'll come on as a producer because they told me to go get a man. Yes. That's what they said to me. Sure, of course they did. But Charles Grodin would come to every taping. <gasps> 
He would come to every taping and sit in the audience and just encourage me because he we had done Beethoven together. Yeah, and he wrote me a letter saying, "You're the wittiest person I have ever worked." See, with. this is these are life changing moments. I know when you have a hero right. tell you you're great. Charles Grodin, and then he shows up every taping. Comes to the taping to make it crystal clear that he thinks you're great. Yes. Oh my goodness. Well, thank you for sharing that. I know. I'm sorry, I had, lucky. sorry I had to beat it out of you. Oh, Jesus. Geez. What the hell? It was the look you were giving me. <laughs> Do I have to put my date of birth on here? Nope. Just a signature. Oh. Yeah. Well, right. The internet could tell me. I just, if you sign it, we're done. <laughs> where do I sign it? Well, where it's got an X. Okay. I put an X there. Um, here, while I'm wrapping things up for the folks at home, you can write your name on the table because that's one of the rituals here. What are you going to do with this table, honey? Is it stay here in the studio? Uh, the studio stays here much like the Earth. When people say, oh, we're destroying the planet. No, no, the planet's going to be fine. It's the people who are going away. Uh, this person is going away, and this table will stay here to uh, help the next podcasters and the many generations that follow. We're, I'm wrapping up after 10 years. Oh, thank you, I was at Kevin. the forefront with a machete in each hand, mm -hmm. and everyone said, what's the podcast? And now it's become jury duty when a friend calls you and asks you to be <laughs> in their podcast. <laughs> Sam Kiefer, what a run, buddy. Truly my pleasure. You know what? I'm going to put on the headphones just because I want to know what you're saying. You're truly my pleasure nope. the whole time. Congratulations. There we go. Can you hear now? Oh, I can hear. Truly my pleasure, start to finish. Uh, you're such a great guy, honestly and truly. And... Um, I'm sorry you also have to quit today. Yeah, it's a weird rule. It is a weird mm -hmm. rule. And I, I feel like I'm to blame, and yet I'm not going to take it. You're 100. That. It's, you made the rule. 100%. So. <laughs> I did make the rule. But thank you for agreeing to quit Honestly, today. truly my Because it's about solidarity. <laughs> mm -hmm. If anyone's if, hiring. If we don't have that, we have nothing. Um, and thank all the folks here at Airwolf uh, for, for uh, embracing the show and allowing us to do this and that and the other thing. Um, uh, yeah, uh, Bonnie, do you want to mention anything where people will go and see a thing or find a place? Right now I'm on Escape at Danamora on Showtime. I'm yeah. so sorry I didn't bring that up either. Uh, what an extraordinary piece of work. And also so mature of Ben Stiller, quite frankly, to step up and, and tell that story. Right. From beginning to end. Mm -hmm. And all everyone who participated was just exceptional. Everybody was great. But also, since this is your you're winding down the show after 10 years, I just want to say thanks for having me on. Aww. And I think you're fantastic and you're one of the true talents. But you're technically not known for your taste. That's true. The only taste I have is in my mouth. <laughs> That's right. Thank you for that. See, we want compliments, and then we can't take them. No, I know. Yes, I know. It's so true. It's like, what's what's up with that? <laughs> yeah. We crave attention. The moment it comes, we run away. Don't you dare be nice to me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, we call it the Khmer get off. <laughs> um, well, thank you so much for that. And thank you for uh, uh, being a part of my personal history Yay. in every way prior and today. Yay. So thank you for that. Um Oh, All right. We also have to talk about the well, we'll talk about that at lunch. Remember when I brought you Don Rickles and Robin Williams together for dinner <sighs> in Vegas? Oh. oh. I forgot about that. I just I just had a flashback. I did too. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, well, you have to share a little bit more. Well, we were all in Vegas because, you know, we uh, Robin was one of my best friends. Yeah. And we would go every year to Vegas, Labor Day weekend. So you were there. I was there. Robin was there. And Robin, Don was doing a show, Don Rickles. Yep. And Don and Robin had been passing ships, but never had really met. Right. So I was going to meet Don after a show for dinner. And I said, Robin, do you want to come? He's like, oh my God. And then I talked to you on the phone or whatever. And yeah. I'm like, yeah, you come too. Yeah. What a night. Ridiculous. And a shutdown restaurant. Yes. All of us in that back room laughing till all hours of the night. But just waiting for Rickles to speak, really. The best. Yeah. The best. Well, thank you again for that. 
Yeah, well, I was... See, you I, created a historical moment again. Robin and I used to talk about it all the time. Yeah. What, what a great night that was. It was pretty I magical. I have photos from that night. You do? Yes. I'm going to need to see yes, one. Yes, I will text. Please? I will take pictures of them and text them to you. Okay. Well, I'm going to uh, I'm going to wait out the next little story that that Bonnie has. That no, she's I been have holding too many. out. No, go. Well, that is the truth. You and I could just do a brand new podcast. We can where just, we just talk to each right. other and and you want to share showbiz stories because they're so fantastic and people do want to hear them. They do. They I wanna, have found. I loved them. Yeah. I I still love hearing them. All right, well check your calendar. Okay, we're honey. gonna come back here and create a new show. Okay, and we're gonna call it Bonnie and Kevin. Oh, my name's first. Yep. Oh wow, <laughs> that's right. I'm gonna show the respect that so many others didn't. People have been very good to me, except that one person. <laughs> who goes nameless. He, because he, you were raised properly. But people could do the research and find out who it is. No, they'll never. You, well, some people know that. Other people that have worked with that person know because they went through similar things. But I didn't know that till years of therapy later. Yeah, yeah. A yeah. uh, little shout out to the therapist? Yes. <laughs> no reason to mention him by name. It's my, All right. my mother. Yeah, that's right. Um, okay. Well, thank you, uh, listeners and wonderful people out there in podcast listening land for all your love and support over the years. Um, continue to uh, follow the antics uh, at Kevin Pollock on Twitter and Kevin Pollock123 on Instagram. Let me know your thoughts. Uh, I'm going to keep open the um, uh, fan mail at kpcs at gmail.com for a while uh, because I want to read your notes about the. Uh, you know, the end of a 10-year uh, block of, of, of time we've spent together. I want to hear from you. Um, fan mail at kpcs at gmail.com. No, is that right? Does that sound right? KPCS fan mail at gmail.com. Yeah, that's what it is. All right, Sam, let's wrap it up. Uh, thanks to Sammy and Jamie um, uh, for all their participation as well. The final shows on our YouTube channel with uh, Pamela Adlon and Jim Jeffries. And should we end with Shallow? Tell me something, <laughs> boy. Aren't you tired trying to fill that void? <sighs> Perfect. Thank you. We're the Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga. I think so. Of the comedy world. Yeah. Well, you know what? Let's call the new podcast that. The, 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 we are so done Gaga, and so set. Gaga. And Cooper. <laughs> no explanation. Just Gaga and Cooper. And what are they going to do? They I'm can't in. sue us. They can't. No. No. It will slightly spell it differently. They'll put an H in Gaga. <laughs> Gaga and Cooper, episode one. Uh, thank you all again. And until next time, and as always, get out of my face.
Hey, this is Arnie Niekamp from the Improv Fantasy Podcast, Hello from the Magic Tavern. I fell through a dimensional portal behind a Burger King in Chicago into the magical land of Foon, and I started a podcast. Season three has just begun with a brand new adventure to defeat the Dark Lord. If you're a new listener or you've fallen behind, season three is a great jumping on point. And we've got great guests like Justin McElroy. I sound like a fancy college professor. Eight nights. <laughs> Rachel Bloom. You all see my collection of men corpses and one woman. Felicia Day and Colton Dunn. You've seen <coughs> me have intercourse with a variety of species. It's a bummer. Andy Daly. You have the members of Genesis listed, but Phil Collins yeah. has crossed out and then circled and crossed out again. Uh, yes, I have killed Phil Collins twice. Thomas Middleditch. <laughs> Oh, Jesus! I mean, Jazos! <laughs> ruler of the Eighth Circle! And that's just the beginning. Season 3 of Hello from the Magic Tavern is out now. Listen in Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.